What do dads need to do in order to generate faith in our kids? What can we learn from other fathers, especially biblical fathers, about what to do and what not to do? Let's join our Bible teacher, Dave Wordson, as we begin this powerful series, Born Again Fathers, Born Again Sons, with the first father, God himself. Several months before the Olympics begin, they light that Olympic torch at Mount Olympus, the ancient place of the original Olympics. Then they run around Greece a little bit, and then they take it to the new country that's going to do the Olympics. And they begin that first ceremony with what we just showed you. They ignite that Olympic flame. For the next seven weeks, I want to ask you, will we believe that we can pass the torch of faith and ignite a flame of faith for the next generation? How many of you believe we can do that? To be honest with you, I feel a little bit this morning like I did when Coach Wigginton first came to Midlothian. He came into the Rotary. He was like me. He was a football player, but he was short. And, uh, you know, he was in good shape. But he'd won all these things in Mahaya, and I'll never forget... As I was sitting there in the rotary, I knew that Midlothian was going from 4A ball to 5A ball because we had just a few more high school kids. And we were getting killed in 4A ball. Now, I remember the old days when we used to go to play in the playoffs, but it was ancient history. And so I'm thinking, this is just a bunch of wind. There's no way that Melothian can win because we're going to transfer to 5A ball and we can't even win in 4A ball. And now we're supposed to play Duncanville. We're supposed to play Mansfield. In fact, two high schools in Mansfield. We're supposed to play Cedar Hill. We don't have a chance. And all the men and women in the Rotary are sitting there going, we don't have a chance. But Coach Wingerton got up there and he said, I can teach the basics of throwing, tackling, blocking, getting a strong team that lifts weights. And in fact, I'm going to start him before they get to middle school. And I'm going to make sure that we learn the basics of football. And then he said, I believe that we can win, that I know how to train them, I know the basics, and I believe we can win. And I said, I think it's all just a bunch of words. You know what? I feel kind of the same way this morning as I look at our culture. I look at dads and moms in our culture. A lot of the, the younger people that I'm working with, they don't even know who their dad is. And they don't have anybody that's stepping in alongside, and it doesn't look very good. So if I was really honest this morning, I'm just as cynical as I was with the Rotary. But for the next seven weeks, we want to explore what does it mean to produce born-again fathers, born-again sons and daughters, question mark, and can we pass the torch of faith? What better place to begin? Let's go back to the first father and turn it back to Genesis chapter 2. A good place to begin with the first father is when he first became a father. Genesis chapter 2 takes us back to the beginning of time, and it's where the camera gets up close and personal with the first father. And chapter 2, we could title, Good Kids. How many of you dads want to produce good kids? Tell me. How many of you dads want to produce good kids? Okay. How many of you kids have ever had your dad and mom say, come on, you kids need to be good. Anybody ever heard that? Talk to me. Talk to me. In fact, I believe that almost all of you, if I say, what's the plan for kids from the first father, you'd all say he wants to produce good kids. Well, I'm going to tell you from the best father of all, how you produce good kids. 
And it starts out, first of all, you got to provide a good home and good food for them. So God starts out, if you look at chapter 2, verse 4, it begins, it says in verse 4, when the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens, all the universe, there was no shrub of the field that had yet appeared and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. It says the Lord God, in verse 8, planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow up out of the ground, trees that were pleading to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. A lot of you know this story well. If you're not, you can go back and check on it this afternoon. But we start out with a first father creating the perfect home for his kids. Now, if I said, I'm your daddy, and I took you to Hawaii and put you in a beautiful house, it's overlooking the beautiful Pacific Ocean, there's acres of pineapples, there's all kinds of coconuts, how many of you would believe this is an awesome house, right? Or if you like Colorado better, I take you to the mountains. It's the middle of ski country. I give you a beautiful chalet up there in the mountains. I say, here's a good home. And then I tell you, listen, there's incredible food here. There's trees. Like I, I went to high school in Florida where we had 300 acres of orange. And during football season, we go in after we practice and we take a big navel orange and we go like that and like that. The dribbling juice would go all over our shirt. Fruit is really good food. Well, I got news for you. You can eat all the fruit you want. You won't gain weight. So it really is really good food. It's awesome food. And that's what the first father is doing. He's providing a good home and good food for your kids. Dads and grandfathers. One of your most important responsibilities if you're going to produce good kids is you've got to provide a home for them. And you need to provide for their food. So the very first father, I don't want to hear any griping saying, like I hear dad sometimes saying, man, I just can't believe it. I can't buy my golf clubs anymore. And, you know, I just can't get the new gun that I wanted to be able to go dove hunting. I just, I just can't believe I can't get even a shotgun. It just, this is horrible. And all of my money is going to kids. Good dads realize, hey, I'm a dad. That's what dads do. So the very first thing the first father teaches is, man, we got to get serious. And by the way, like, this is really the basics, the fundamentals. But as American dads, we're not doing too good on that. If we're going to light the torch of faith and follow our first father, we need to provide good homes and good food for our kids. And I want all of your dads that are doing that, I want you to realize that you're following the footsteps of the ultimate father. The second thing you need to do that's really, really important is you need to demonstrate your love. And that's part of this idea of providing a good home. Every one of you, your little kids need to know from the time they're little bitty guys that you're good, that you're loving. See, as a dad, you hold the key to your whole family. And what the first father is doing is what would you conclude if you have the very first father? You know this story, this chapter. The very first father provides a perfect garden for his son to live in. He gives them an incredible food to eat. He gives them beautiful rivers of water flowing. And then he even even meets his aloneness needs. He needs relationships. So he provides a beautiful woman, and he's getting him ready for marriage. And his first chapter is laying out all the things that a father does for his kids from the time the little bitty guy, he, they provide protection, they provide good food. They also provide their relationship needs. They realize that it's not good for them alone, so that from the time they're just little guys, that the kids can really open up to dad, and dad is coming alongside them. Some of your kids are distant. Some of your kids' dads aren't just like you. 
Like in my own family, three of my kids just are exactly like me. They talk like me, and then they're real free-flowing. One of my kids wasn't like that. They were more quiet. Well, it was really easy for me not to connect with the one that was quiet. But the first father realized it's not good for anyone to be alone, and he made Eve for Adam. You all know that story, but you need to realize the principle is that good daddies meet their relationship needs. And I just want to tell you as a daddy, because I listened to that advice, I spent time with my second son, Joel, who was much more like a Nebraskan and much quieter. And he would go, I would take him to eat donuts and try to open up relationship. And he would just sit there and not say anything for 45 minutes. As an adult, now he's almost 40 years old. He called me. He's the one that calls me every single week to talk. And he doesn't just call me to ask for money. He called me because he wants to find out. He's the one that asked me, hey, how do you feel about speaking again Sunday morning? You know, are you ready? How do you feel emotionally about that? He's the one that connects with me. And so every one of you dads, the most powerful thing you can do is you need to realize it's not good for your kids to be alone. And you begin to teach your sons and your daughters what it means not to be alone because you're a dad that's coming alongside and connecting with them. That's what good fathers do. So you demonstrate your love. The other thing that's the next thing that's very important, it says here in this text, and you remember the text well, it said you can eat from all the trees of the garden. So you demonstrate your love. None of your kids can say that you're Scrooge, but then you give very simple, clear commands. And in chapter 2, the command is very simple. You can eat from all the trees of the garden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the middle of the garden. And if you eat of it, you will absolutely, certainly die. Now, how many have a hard time understanding that? Is that hard to understand? No, it's very simple to understand. This is as basic as you can get. Every one of your dads, you need to provide good food, good home. You need to provide relationship needs for your kids. But the text, this very first daddy is saying, you need to provide moral boundaries for your kids. In other words, you need to demonstrate you can do all of this, but not this. Because I want you to start to put this story of the Bible together. Here in Genesis chapter 3, we're at the very beginning. We have one simple rule, and Adam and Eve act out all the parts that we play. When you get later on into the book of Exodus, you start doing this with a whole nation. Some of you are from a Jewish background here today, and that was your whole upbringing. And what happened in the rest of the Old Testament is Moses says, okay, I'm not going to do this just with one little family. God the Father, through his prophet Moses, says, we're going to do this with a whole nation. So instead of don't eat from the tree of knowledge and evil, Moses is a good daddy following the ultimate first daddy and says, I want you to obey. How many of you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, what are they? What's the very first one? Good. That shall love the Lord with all their heart. What's the second one? You have no false gods before me. What's the third one? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What's the fourth one? This is really important. I just want you to know, one of the major reasons I'm pessimistic, I realize, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm talking to all these Bible church kids and they stand up, and even when I'm coming back, and they bless me. And, but I want to just get out there with a regular kid. I want every dad in this room and every grandfather in this room, you've got to listen to me. Our kids, not necessarily Bible church kids, but, we're, but I'm not so sure we do much better. I ask kids every class when I begin, what are the Ten Commandments? They know three or two out of the ten. So we're not making it really clear. I guarantee you, you've got a culture. They have no idea what the Ten Commandments are. Jesus, you know where he was born? Everybody tell me really loud. Where was Jesus born? 
The dominant answer I get is Jerusalem. Okay, what are the first four Gospels in the New Testament? Okay, hardly any of my students can name one of those. So that's why we need to pass the torch. I want you not to be discouraged about that. I want you to realize we got an incredible job and, and we need to get the basics. I want you to join me. We as dads and grandfathers, we need to make sure that every single one of our little sons and daughters, before they go away when they're 18, they need to know the Ten Commandments. They need to know the Gospels. But they need to know not just the facts. They need to know the redemptive story that I'm telling you today. They need to be able to understand what I'm talking to you about today and how this is the God that I'm talking about in Genesis chapter 2. He's right here in the presence of his spirit this morning. And he really believes what I'm telling you. It's really important as dads. Do your kids know what the moral parameters are for your home? Do they really know why you have those standards? That's what God is doing. So we have a father that he demonstrates his love, his goodness. He gives really simple commands. And then he states the punishment before they break them. That you're going to absolutely certainly die. Now, how many of you believe you'll die if you break one of God's commandments? Our culture doesn't believe that anymore. In fact, when we get into the next section about bad kids, hardly anybody believes. Almost everybody doesn't believe you'll die. So we need to think about that. And you dads hold the key in your home. A really good dad really understands this is right and this is wrong. And if you do the right, you're going to live. If you do the wrong, you're going to die. And I want all of you to wrestle with, do you really believe that? Because I got news for you. Your culture doesn't believe that. My students really, really believe if I feel that it's right. The kids in high school, they can try that out this week. Ask the kids, how do you know what's right and wrong? If it feels right, it's right. So I'm going to have my class argue on Monday night, I'm an Aztec. And I was born that the sun needs to keep shining. And the way that the sun keeps shining is we reach into the heart of a living person and yank their heart out while their brain is still functioning. And then we sacrifice them and we put their skulls on the top of a big pyramid. And that keeps the world shining. And that's the way Aztecs were raised. It's what they believed. They felt that with all their heart. How many of you believe that's right to do that? An Aztec feels it. An Aztec really believes with all their heart, man, I feel that's really what I need to do. Well, you might think that's right, but if you're the one that's having your heart ripped out of your chest, suddenly you'll get real conviction. That ain't right. And I want you to think really hard about that. Genesis chapter 2 is saying there's an ultimate daddy. And the ultimate daddy is saying, thou shalt not murder. And that's a real right. And if you obey, you're going to live. The ultimate daddy's really good. How many of you guys would think this guy's really good if he brings a gorgeous knockout woman to you and she's stark naked and he says, I want you to have sex with her and I want you to have tons of kids. How many of you would believe, hey, he's really good? Now, you never heard that in church before, did you? Because all the pastors, when they get to the weddings, they leave that part out. But it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. When you get your kid ready and you prepare them, they've had a dad that demonstrated love to them. They've had a dad that gives them really good principles about what's right and wrong. They have a dad that trained them about the consequences of disobedience. And now they have a dad that's got them ready to enter the adult life and leave their father and mother and cling to the woman that God had for them. And together they can have intercourse. They become one flesh and they can produce tons of kids. And they were one flesh. And it says they were both naked and they were unashamed. Now that's where almost all of you think this story ends. 
and you're really confused because you don't live in a world like that. How many of you believe the world looks like a garden? And almost all my unbelieving friends, they really believe that it's a story like we come to church to learn how to be good. That's what almost all of you think. In fact, there's a whole bunch of you dads in this room. What you're trying to do is you think you're going to create a garden of Eden for your kids. And you got really strict rules. You got really clear consequences. And you got all your kids in this little garden of Eden. There's only one problem with it. You forgot there's Genesis chapter 3. I want you to really pay attention to me because our culture swings back and forth. As I move into chapter 3, you know what? A ton of parents believe that Satan's right in chapter 3. You see, there's one group of parents. You're sitting here today, Dave. I'm with you, man. I'm a dad. I'm protecting my family, and I got really clear right and wrong, man. I'm consistent. I discipline my kids when they disobey, and my kids are in a garden. I'm going to make absolutely sure they never, never, never meet the snake. And then I got another group of parents, and you're sitting here going, no, that's the way I was raised. Man, I was raised with, it was all rules and regulations, and I then found out that all the people teaching me the rules and regulations were a bunch of hypocrites, and I've thrown off the whole thing. And I believe my kids need to just experiment. So there's a whole group of people in our culture that they don't want to produce good kids, they want to produce liberated kids. And they end up producing bad kids. Because Genesis chapter 3 begins with, now the serpent was more crafty, he was more subtle, he was more uh, worldly wise than any of the other God's creatures. But the text doesn't tell you where the serpent came from, and you're not going to know where Satan comes from in your life either half the time. But Genesis chapter 1 tells you, it gives you a hint to the story. God isn't telling a garden story. I want all of you to realize, God isn't telling a Garden of Eden story. He tells a story where there's a serpent that enters the garden And he destroys everything. In fact, we started out with the earth dark and empty and formless and oceans everywhere. No one could live. And that means there's a foreboding darkness. You experience that chaos today. Like when I went home and saw the news last night, murder, thou shalt not murder. How many of you believe that? Suddenly I came from an incredible marriage conference and I plunged into despair. Our town again. I remember when George Rayfield was killed. Everywhere I went in the United States, you're the Midlothian. That's where they killed the policeman. Now we're the town. Three young men are involved in terrible, terrible violence. And that just thuds you. And you you say, where's God? I thought God was good. Yeah, he is good. But you need to understand, God didn't choose to write just a story about good. There's a great mystery in it, but the Bible tells a very realistic story. There's a snake in the grass. And the snake is after every one of your kids. And you're not going to be able to protect them. They're going to meet him. And you need to teach him about his wild. And this is what he does. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, he comes to Eve. He breaks God's commands. He, He doesn't follow God's order. He doesn't talk to Adam. He talks to Eve. And she usurped responsibility in the family that she's not supposed to have. And the very first thing he said is, has God told you you can't eat of every tree in the garden? Now, what's the implication of that question is all restrictions are bad. Did you hear that? And almost all of you believe that. In fact, I talked to tons of unbelievers. They said, I think God was really messed up and mean. He should have let him eat all the trees of the garden. Because they believe what the serpent says. All restrictions are bad. Do you believe that? You think all restrictions are bad? 
You think you should be able to eat anything you want? A whole bunch of kids and a whole bunch of parents, that's what they believe. Now, I got news for you. When God says, don't eat from this tree, he means it. Don't murder. You have a right to your life, so don't murder. And we're in the pain. That command was broken, and now our whole town is experiencing. We have families we need to come alongside. It's a really devastating thing. But how many of you believe murder is really wrong? Henry's here today from California. He's videoing. He wants to do the weird Texas preachers. So that's what he's, he's right here in the front. He's from San Francisco. So give Henry a hand. This is my friend Henry Dombey. He met my son Josh. His wife is pregnant. His wife's an incredible cook. She was on big national cook shows and everything else. But Henry planted a seed, and now a beautiful baby is growing in that womb. Now, if Henry goes out and commits adultery, what will happen to that child? How many of you think that's really a great idea? Most of my unbelieving friends don't think that. They can be promiscuous all they want before they get married. But they still believe it's wrong to commit adultery. Because all of us know the pain. One of my students, I couldn't figure out why he was so discouraged at Thanksgiving. He slept through half my class, and then I found out he was working 40 hours a week. Then I asked him before Thanksgiving. I was all excited. My kids were coming home for Thanksgiving up from Austin. Henry knows Josh really well. He was coming up. And so I said to this kid, man, aren't you really excited? And he said, no, I hate Thanksgiving. So I'm ready to lecture him. He says, I hate Thanksgiving because my parents fight every Thanksgiving about where I'm going to be. And I hate it. I wish it didn't even happen. Because since I've been two years of age, my parents got divorced when I was two years of age, and they still haven't agreed yet. They fight every Thanksgiving. And I really would like to be with my dad, but my mom gets angry, so I don't know what to do. It hurts when a poem is divided. God was good. Satan was wrong. God isn't being at Scrooge when he says, don't do this. So we need to be careful what's going to happen. So then it says, then Satan does something really powerful. He says, thou shalt not surely die. Now, what did God say? You will surely die. What did Satan say? I want every dad to listen to me. You need to teach your kids from the time they're really small. Our kids are raised in a culture, and it's the air they breathe. You will not surely die. That you can do whatever you want. If you feel it, it's right. And if you do it, everything will be fine. Our whole culture believes that. And we need some dads. I need some dads. And some granddads especially saying, I don't believe that. How many dads would say, I don't believe that? I'm going to raise my kids from the time they're just little bitty kids. That when God tells us to do something, it's not arbitrary. One thing I want you to start to do is, dad, you need to be explaining to your kids from the time they're little bitty kids, thou shalt die if you disobey. It's really bad. Because you'll get hurt and other people will get hurt. Little H.A., my grandson, his little brother is approaching one, and I'm over there in Alabama, and man, they're sitting in their chairs, and H.A. is bigger than Zeke, so he hits Zeke. So I said to Harvey, I said, Harvey, how in the world did you ever teach H.A. to hit his little brother? I've never seen a kid hit his little brother like that before. How many of you have taught your kids how to hit one another? Okay, how many of you think it's a really good idea for little boys? That's the beginning of murder. I'm angry with my brother. So, you know, then in H.A., my grandson, I can't believe he did an incredible thing. Harvey said, H.A., 
don't you hit Zeke. Stop hitting Zeke. H.A. went. As soon as his dad looked away, H.A. hit him again. For the next 40 minutes, he hit Zeke, and Zeke hit him back. Anybody have kids like that? And there was consequences. H.A. had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with his daddy. But the evil one is telling you from the time of little bitty kids. Now, I got a whole bunch of parents that are saying, you just let your kids express themselves. You've got to be liberated. You don't want to hold little H.A. down. Because little H.A. needs the freedom to become himself. If you let that go long enough, he'll kill Zeke. And when Zeke gets big enough, which often happens, like in my family, the second one became bigger than the first one. Then the, big, the second one rises up and kills the first one. That's the story. You need to come back next week. That's where we're going next week. So don't believe it. Are you going to believe what Satan says? Thou shalt not truly die. And he'd say, oh, yeah, you will. Then Satan's out of there. So none of you can say, well, the devil made me do it. It says Eve saw that the food looked like good for your stomach. The Hebrews are very basic. Everyone in this room are tempted to live just for your stomach. And at the Super Bowl, they're going to give you one ad after another that says, if you buy this, it's good for your eyes. You're going to say, man, I need that. So you're going to see a bunch of beautiful girls and beautiful guys. They're all going to be at a bar, and they'll probably they'll, they'll even do ads. Probably not for the Super Bowl. They do an ad, you know, where suddenly they're wearing business clothes, and they all are at the beach, and, they're, and then they take off their clothes. And you all drink the suds, and we all live happily ever after. So the big thing, there's going to be tons of people today that are going to commit adultery. And they're going to commit fornication. After they watch the Super Bowl, they're all going to split up and they're going to have multiple relationships. That's the world you live in. Because it's good for, it feels really good for my appetite. And it feels really good for the eyes. And that's what Eve was doing with the forbidden fruit. She grabbed it. This is the final thing. She says, it'll make me wise. I know wisdom. And you know what wisdom is? Now, I want you to listen to this. This is the very first strong temptation. Eve is believing, I can decide what's right and wrong. And that's what a lot of you think. In fact, a lot of our kids are going to leave the church and say, I just decide what's right. What I've learned in the middle of the Bible church is a bunch of baloney. And what I want you to understand is that's a lie. Because Eve took the fruit and she died. They became ashamed. Anybody in this room ever feel guilty? Okay. And you know what a whole lot of you think? How many of you, when you feel guilty, say, I'm going to try harder the next time? Okay, and, and you know, you do that with your kids, moms and dads. You say, we're going to work harder on being good. In fact, we do a whole Sunday school program. We're going to teach our kids, like we, we're going to teach them, don't steal. Don't hit your little brother. Don't lie. You know what? H.A. already knows that he shouldn't hit his brother. So if he comes to our Sunday school, you don't have to tell H.A. not to hit his little brother. He already knows that. You say, how do you know that, Dave? Is his grandfather, because he's ashamed when he does it. And all of you already know that. So we tell our kids for 18 years, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Be really good boys and girls. And then they conclude, well, nobody's really that good, so I'm going to be bad. And this Jesus thing is a bunch of baloney. That's because they forget the third thing I want to leave you with today. All good daddies understand, the first daddy. I want you to get this. If God wanted to write a story about good boys and girls, the story would have ended with no Genesis 3. It would have ended in Genesis 2. I want you to listen to me. The ultimate God of the universe doesn't want just good kids. He also doesn't abandon bad kids. Some of you have bad kids today. I want you to know your heavenly father is their ultimate daddy, and he's still hanging in there with them. He's working with them. 
And I want our kids raised in our church. I don't want anyone raised in our church family. I don't want to have any kid tell me when they're 19 years of age, you taught me for 19 years to try to be good, and it was a bunch of baloney. And Jesus has failed me, and it doesn't work. Because the teachers in school that taught me to be sexually pure, I found out that they were having illicit relationships on the weekend. All the Sunday school teachers that told me not to get drunk, I saw them get drunk. It's a whole bunch of baloney. Those are kids that were taught it's only about goodness. And then they're going to decide, I'm just going to be bad. But the ultimate God of the universe chose to write a much more powerful story. He told a story that would involve death and curses and murder and immorality and terrible, terrible judgment. And it's not his fault. It's the serpent and it's us. Eve couldn't say the devil made me do it. The serpent disappeared and Adam couldn't say my wife made me do it. And that's what we all do. We run and hide and Adam says my wife made me do it. Eve says the serpent made me do it. And then, the, then Jesus, God the Father, says something really parable. He said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity. The story of the Bible, I want every one of you dads to know you are in a great conflict. There's the seed of the woman and there's the seed of the serpent. And God told, this is what we've taught you from the very beginning, the seed of the whole redemptive story of the Bible is right there. God promised Eve, you're going to generate a great male child. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. There's going to be a day where there's not going to be murder anymore. No more murderous high newspaper reports. There's going to no more be broken families. There's going to be no more you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. There's going to be no more war. The serpent is going to be crushed by the great male child. His name is Jesus. But that serpent is going to strike the male child, and he did. Because, see, Genesis chapter 3 closes. What did Adam and Eve try to do to cover their sin? They were ashamed. And do you ever feel the shame? Some of you right now this morning, you're sowing fig leaves. You're sowing leaves. And you try to cover up your shame. It'll never work. That's why you're still hiding. Some of you will decide, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I feel too guilty. Hear what I'm saying. Dads, you need to raise your kids from the time they're really small. The ultimate, the first daddy, didn't choose to raise good kids. He didn't just destroy and judge bad kids. He says, I want to produce forgiving kids. You know what he did? He didn't just preach at you. In fact, it doesn't even tell you in the text. It just implies it. Henry's taking a video. Henry would have to video the ultimate heavenly father, and he took a sheep probably, because that's what Abel brings later. He takes the sheep, and Adam and Eve watched the sheep be cut. And his throat is cut, and the blood flows. And then they watch the father, the heavenly father, take the sheep's skin, and he sews together the clothing that his kids can wear. And God, the first father, clothes his kids and covers their shame. Now, why did God do that? Because God wanted to tell you at the very beginning of the story, there's going to be another day. He's going to tell you all kinds of stories. Abraham taking his son to the mountain, the serpent trying to wipe out the seed all the way through the Old Testament. But there's going to come another day when a dad's going to take, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, there's going to be another father that's going to take his son to a mountain. And he's going to allow the serpent to put his son on the mountain. 
And that son's going to have nail prints driven through his hands and through his feet. And he's going to have a sword thrust into his side. And he's going to die. You know why? Because the Lord wants forgiven kids. And every one of you can be forgiven. Because the serpent struck that great male child. But when Jesus shed his blood, the blood of bulls and goats can never forgive sins. But the one sacrifice of Jesus forever enables us to be free of guilt and clean forever. And then on the third day, the great thing about this ultimate daddy is his ultimate daddy doesn't let the serpent just strike the heel. Jesus crushed the serpent when he rose again from the dead. Lane and Demetrius could tell those girls last night, you know what? The serpent really hit hard. And I'm not just saying this as a nice little dream. Those young men that know Jesus are with him. That's what it means, he conquered death. The only thing that will meet those young widows' needs, the only thing that will meet those little kids' needs, is for Jesus one day to take a little boy in his arm. Now, I've had this happen in my family, so I'm not just speaking. One of my precious relatives ran over her two-year-old baby, Abby. So this isn't distant. I've had married mom and dad. I've been where they lost their son. I know what it is. This isn't pretend. And I want to share with you, the ache never goes away. But there's going to come a day where Jesus takes those little boys and those little girls, going to take those wives, and he's going to take their loved one and say, here, you're together, and we're going to party, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to rejoice. And you're going to, I'm going to wipe those tears away. Right now, I will cry with you because now we're in a great struggle. Now we're in an incredible struggle. The serpent is real. The chaos is real. The darkness is real. God is not the one that has that chaos in his heart. He is good. He is loving. But he's writing a redemptive story. And I want some dads and I want some grandfathers that lead their families to realize I'm not just trying to produce good kids. And I'm not going to let my kids just live liberated kids. From the time they're little bitty guys, I want dad to say, H.A., I hit my brother too when I was little, and I still want to hit. But I've met an incredible serpent slayer named Jesus. And even though you're just a little boy and you don't understand, I want you to realize Jesus wants to give you the power to be a good boy, not in your own strength. Because I could never be good in my own strength. And I could spank you, and I'm going to do that but it's not going to ever change you. I want you to meet Jesus. I had a dad like that. I don't remember when I didn't know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I want to raise up dads especially and grandfathers especially that are going to bring redemptive, healing, forgiving grace into the lives of their kids. 